Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet, where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine to become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. Hello and welcome on today's show of Sanseet. We have Eileen McCourt. She is an energy therapist. And she's an author where she's written 11 books, which is some writing machine. A few of her books are Living in the Magic and Spirit Calling. Hello, Eileen, and welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you very much for having me on the show, Aaron. I'm doing fine. Thank you. And you? Good? Fantastic, yes. Tell us about where you got introduced into the world of energy and holistic therapies. I was always aware that there were angels around me or some higher force protecting me. Things just seemed to fall into place automatically. You know, things like passing your driving test, first time passing exams, looking for things that just always seem to materialize to manifest. And then when I did my Reiki 1, um, that was when I first made contact with my soul. It was a very emotional day for me. I cried and cried and cried. And I thought for a long time afterwards that it was part of my clearing after you do an achievement. And then one day I realized that it was not part of that. It was the fact that I had touched my soul for the first time that day. You know, I had been believing all my life in the teachings of the Catholic Church. And I was a very strong Catholic. And then it suddenly, well not suddenly, but over a process of time, I began to realize that, hang on a second here, things are not what we've been told. You know, I'm a history teacher, and I think that has a lot to do with it, and also the literature. You know, I began to realize, well, the church always told early on, always taught that the world was flat. And when you came to the end, you fell over. And then that turned out not to be true. And the church also taught that the sun revolves around the earth, and the earth is still and that turned out not to be true as well. And then Copernicus and Galileo and all these people who were trying to bring forward scientific truth were all persecuted by the church because they were doing that. Even Galen, you know, the Dr. Galen who tried to show that they act, what the actual physical body looked like, they were all persecuted and, you know, sidestepped by the church and things like that made me begin to think, well, what is going on here? When I got my, my Reiki one, that was when the energy really started. The feeling I got that day and the power that was around me that day, this total feeling of unconditional love, which is absolutely beautiful. And uh, that's when I contacted my soul, when I made contact with my soul for the first time in my life. And since that, I have just it's just gone straight upwards for me. The first book, Living the Magic, um, was written in December 2014. And that came about after a set of the most amazing synchronicities which I described in the book. Um, that book materialized in three weeks. I started to write it, and within three weeks, handwriting, it within three, I didn't have a word processor at that time, and within three weeks, that book was published, and 500 copies here in my front room, ready for distribution. That's how quickly it went. And that book was the start of a lot. book was the basic, basic, basic book for people starting their spiritual path. And the reason I wrote it was because I wanted to share with people what I knew deep down in my own self, my own spiritual beliefs, which resonated with me very strongly and which explained everything to me in a much more sensible way than any church or any religion ever explained to me. And that book is simply about connecting the physical and spiritual worlds because we are all one. There's no differentiation, there's no demarcation, there are no lines of separation, okay? It was just simply basic in an introduction to the teaching 
them truths about the nature of life and death, where, where spiritual beings have the physical experience, why we're here. We're here to learn lessons, to evolve our soul. And we've reincarnated time after time after time after time in order to evolve our own soul. And this lifetime is just many, one of many amongst our long walkabout across eternity. Eternity is not something that starts when we die and goes on forever. Eternity is now. We are living eternity. The book's also about reincarnation, how we plan our own lives. Nothing is left to chance. How we have an afterlife review, which we conduct ourselves. Nobody judges us. There's no God waiting for us to judge us, and there's no down to hell or up to heaven. That's all. That's all rubbish. That's all rubbish. We review our own life after we pass over, and we see where we did well and where we did not so well, and where we've got to go back and try and make it right and do it again. And the whole thing is about energy. If you're starting to on your spiritual path, the first thing you need to understand is energy. What energy is? how energy works, how energy never dies, it just simply changes form. We're all energy. And then you go on from that to, well, if we're all energy, God is energy as well, right? All our thoughts and words and actions and deeds, they're all energy. And everything goes out there into the ether, into the universe. And it reads what we send out, we send back. The energy and thoughts we send out, we get the same back. And the book is also about the nature of God. God is not a person, and he certainly isn't a male figure away up on the clouds, big stick in his hand, ready to beat us up, which we've all been taught. Um, God is an energy, and we are all part of that great universe energy that is God. Now, for example, look at the ocean. This explains it all very, very simply. The ocean. We are all part of the ocean. The wave is in the ocean, okay? The wave has no life outside of the ocean, and the wave has no existence outside of the ocean. The ocean creates the wave. The, the wave is the ocean's creation, right? The wave builds up to a crest and then collapses and breaks. It's no longer a wave, but it's still in the ocean, okay? So it is with us. We are in the great God energy, the great universal God energy, the great universal energy that is God. God is everything that ever has been, is, and ever will be. Everything is the great God energy, okay? And we are like that wave. We have no existence outside of that great God energy. That great God energy has given us life and sustains us. And outside of that, we will not be. We just cannot exist. You know, again, dip your finger into the ocean and take up a little drop of water on your finger. And that one little droplet of water is part of the ocean. You've taken it out of the ocean. That one little droplet of water on your finger contains all the elements, all the elements of the great ocean. It has the salty taste. It has the water substance. It is everything the ocean has. But that little droplet of water is not the ocean in its entirety. It's only a small part of it, but it's still part of it. Same with us. Each one of us is not God in God's entirety. Each one of us is God essence. Each one of us carries all the elements of the great universal God energy within us. So hope you can see the similarity there, the waves and the ocean, and the little drops of water coming out of the ocean. We have no existence outside of the great God energy. We're all in there. And there's no separation between us. You are me and I am you, right? Mm -hmm. There's no separation. So it doesn't make sense then if we're all each other and we're all united and we're all the one, why are we killing each other? It doesn't make sense. And the reason why we kill each other is because we do not see each other yet as spiritual beings. We are not just a body. We are a spiritual light a soul having a physical experience it's got to do with love god is love the only thing is love and love is all there is 
and it's only unconditional love. People just take this word love, they think it's all about Valentine cards and lovey-dovey and slurp slurp and all the rest of it. It's not. Um, that's manipulation. I will love you if you do this for me. That's manipulation. That's not love. The only kind of love there can ever be is unconditional love. That means I accept you, I love you as you are. You are a great spiritual being and I accept you. That is what love is. You must love yourself, you must love yourself because you see yourself as the great spiritual being you really are and not just the body. For example, if an angel appeared there between you, you probably would interview it, or God or somebody not like Jesus appeared, you probably would interview it. Most people run away, right? Because, well, we don't see those every day of the week. But that being that has just appeared, whether it be Jesus or an angel or an archangel, that being is us. And we are that being because we are all one. That being is just further along the path of evolution, soul evolution, that we are. Now, you would not take a knife and stick it in that being. You wouldn't criticize it. You wouldn't judge it. You wouldn't condemn it. You would bow down in awe and respect that that being has appeared to you. My goodness, this being is appearing to me. You would be full of awe at this. But look what we do to each other. Each of us is the same substance as that ethereal being is. And look what we do. We judge. We condemn. We kill, we hate. It just does not make sense. If we could just see each other as the bright spark of the divine that each of us really is, and not just that body in front of us, then the world would be a much better place. The world would be a wonderful place. But that's not the way we see each other. We still are wrapped up in individualism. We're still wrapped up in this world where you've been where you've got to go, 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 get, 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 do, do, do. Or that's not what life is all about. We have lost touch with our spirituality. We live in a world where computers have taken over our mind and our heart, our feminine heart, has suffered because of that. The mind is the masculine, the heart is the feminine, and that's why the world is in such turmoil, because the masculine has taken over and the masculine has become too dominant. Our mind has been controlled, has been manipulated by those who would control us for their own means and their own ends, and we have lost touch with our heart. So we've got to get out of our mind and back into our heart. Feel our emotions as they really are, not as we think they should be, because our mind has been controlled to tell us how they should be. Okay, a computer is no heart. We're living like computers. But a human being is a heart. But we've lost touch with that. So after the first book was published, then the rest came in rapid succession. The second one was The Great Awakening, and that was that's sort of semi-autobiographical, where I go back into my childhood and explain the teachings in the midst 20th century, the late 20th century, where in primary school we were taught that God was a punishing God and that I had put Jesus on that cross and that I was going to hell when I died because I was a sinner and that I was doing everything wrong and I was very bold. You know, God was just waiting to condemn me. You know, that's not true, Arne. We all know that now. There's no hell. The creator owns hell. There's no place called heaven. Heaven is a state of being, a state of consciousness. And when you die, you, or when you pass over, we don't die, we just change energy form. When we pass over, no God is going to come and meet us and say, right, you go up there, you go down there. That's not going to happen. When we pass over, our soul automatically gravitates to the level in the spirit world which we have earned for ourselves while in this lifetime. It automatically gravitates towards where we are entitled to go. You cannot go into a higher spiritual realm unless you gain or unless you win access to the brownie points you score. Now, the one criteria which is going to determine where your soul goes when you pass over is what level of spiritual 
consciousness are you on? Yes, I know good deeds are great, giving to charity, giving to homes, all that is wonderful. But the main criteria is what level of spiritual consciousness you have managed to get yourself up to during this lifetime. And your soul automatically gravitates towards that level of consciousness in the spirit world. And when you get there, you're not going to be sitting on a cloud, playing a part for the rest of eternity. You are still going to be evolving your immortal soul. And if you feel that you want to come back to this earth dimension again, to learn lessons that you can't learn in the spirit world, this earth being a very most dense vibration. That's why the learning is so great. All souls want to come here to, you know, to fast track their evolution. Then you decide you want to go back and you want you, you decide what lessons you need to learn. You plan your own blueprint for your lifetime. And that's what it's all about. Nobody forces you to do anything. We have free will. That's why, you know, people say, why is God allowing this earth to be the way it is, to allow so much evil in the world? God doesn't allow that. That's nothing to do with God. You know, this great God energy. Everything has been created within this great God energy. We are part of that creation, but we have been endowed with that wonderful gift of free will. And nobody, no Jesus, no God, no Archangel, no anybody in the spirit world or in any other vibration can interfere with our free will. It is our own free will which allows us to choose whether we do good or whether we do less than good. And we have abused our free will. We are the ones who have created. We are co-creators with God, but we have co-created in a different way than we should be doing. We have created evil, God hasn't done that. And God cannot interfere to stop it. It must come from within us. Nobody can pull you up into heaven. You have got to get there by yourself. Yes, there is a lot of help coming, but nobody, nobody, nobody can pull you up screaming and shouting by the hair of the head. You have got to want your spirituality to develop from within you. And yes, once you decide that, there is loads of help right there. Jesus cannot pull you up the ladder. He can hold the ladder for you, as the angels can, but you have got to go up the ladder on your own. The three great untruths that we've all been told, I've mentioned some of you there, this great awakening or spirit calling, are you listening? The first great untruth was that we're separate from, from everyone else. I just explained we're not separate. The second great untruth is that we are only this body. We're not only this body. People often say, sure, I'm only human. <laughs> That's very ironic. You're not only human. You're only a very small part of you that is human. You're mostly spirit. And the third great untruth is that God punishes. God doesn't punish. Now, the other side of the coin is God does not forgive. Now, why does God not forgive? Simply because there is nothing to forgive. Okay? And why is there nothing to forgive? Because karma takes care of every action we do. Karma is not a punishment. Karma is simply a balancing of the not-so-good actions we do with the better actions we do. Everything must be balanced. And we come back on the wheel of reincarnation time after time after time to balance our karma. God does not get involved because God is not a person. God is the energy. And souls pass over, maybe, you know, when they've been over time, I haven't seen God yet. Where is God? God didn't come to meet me. That's not going to happen. Because God, everything is inside that great big spiritual energy of God. It's all combined. So God does not forgive because God does not need to forgive. There's nothing to forgive. Karma takes care of that. Then I took out a book for teenagers because our teenagers are going through very troubled times. A lot of them are taking their own lives because they just can't see a way out of this. And parents don't seem to be able to help. All they could do is stand by and watch, because that's because they have been taught the wrong stories as well. Okay, we've got to get the truth out there. So that book, Life But Again, Go With Flow, is for teenagers, 
it explains all about the nature of God, why they're here, and it makes more sense to them than a religion class does in school, where they're taught the Gospels, which are simply a load of made-up stories, okay? Then the next most beautiful book, it was called Rainbows, Angels, Unicorns, and that was for a young child for a spiritual book. That is beautiful, it's full of lovely illustrations, opening a child's eyes to the magic around them, and to the magic of themselves, of the magic of life. And then the next two books took a sort of different turn. That's the gospel truth. You know, you've often heard people say, and that's the gospel truth. I'm telling you the gospel truth. <laughs> well, the irony here is again, there's no such thing as gospel truth because the gospels are not truthful. They're full of inaccuracies, contradictions, fabrications, right? Even the order in which they were written has been misrepresented to us. You know, first of all, the Paul's writings came from, if you look at the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Paul's writings. Then, you know, it goes off your tongue like a nursery rhyme, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's not the order in which they were written. First of all, Paul's writings came first, then Mark, then Matthew, then Luke, then John, and then the Acts written by the same author as Luke, and those were not uh, contemporaries of Jesus. They were not written by Jesus' disciples, as we were led to believe they were. They were all written under pseudonyms, as was common at the time, and they're all a combination of stories. Now, if you read the Gospels vertically, one after the other, you don't notice the inaccuracies or the contradictions so much. But if you read them horizontally, episode in that one, episode in that one, same episode in that one, you will very quickly cop on the simple contradictions. There's somebody saying lies here somewhere. So that's the gospel truth. And the next one was the almost immaculate deception. And that is about the scam perpetrated by the Roman Christian church. Jesus was not unique, as we've been led to believe he was, okay? The CV that we've been led to believe Jesus had is the same CV as all the other Greek and Roman gods at the time. They were all born of virgins. They were all crucified, or they all were killed, and they all resurrected again three days later, and they all went up to heaven. So where is the uniqueness of Jesus there? So that Jesus in the Gospels is a composite figure, manifest created, made up out of thin air, by a male-dominated misogynist church, which disempowered women, and castigated Mary Magdalene, and made the mother of Jesus into a virgin. Those are not real people, okay? You know, the Holy Family. The Holy Family is supposed to be a model for all the families. Now, how, that, now, Ira, how could that be? First of all, you've got God the Father, then the Virgin Mother, and then the celibate son. How is, how is that a normal family? It, it doesn't, nothing makes sense there. But the reason we've been deceived for so long is because we were never encouraged to read the Gospels for ourselves. We were told, oh, you wouldn't understand. The only Gospels we ever knew about were the ones bits that were read to us from the pulpit on Sunday morning, thundered out as the priest shouted and roared at us. That's the only Gospel we ever got to. And the sad thing is that most people who proclaim themselves to be Roman Catholics have never read the Gospels. And that's, I think, where most people need to start, to start to read the Gospels. Then the next book was, the last one out there was Jesus Lost and Found. He's not, there was a Jesus yet. He is not the Jesus that the Gospels tell us was there. I just explained that was a composite figure made up by the Emperor Constantine and the early Romans in the 4th century to create a religion which would cement the straggling Roman Empire together. And that's when Christianity was first mentioned. Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was a Jew. Christianity was begun by the Romans in the 4th century in order to, as I've told you, cement the straggling Roman Empire together. And it was a mixture of the gods they had and a new creation, and they named him Jesus. He was not known as Jesus in his own time. He was Yeshua. And this thing, Jesus the Nazarene, people think that's Jesus from Nazareth. It's not. The Nazareans were a sect or a branch of the Essenian community, and Jesus was a member of the Essenian community. A secretive, very, very spiritual community, steeped in the 
ancient wisdom in the ancient mystery schools. And if you want to find Jesus, you have got to find the Essenian community, the brotherhood, and you've got to find the ancient mystery schools and their teachings. Because that's where Jesus was in the missing years from he was 12 until he was 30. He was in India. He was in the eastern parts of the world. He was in with the Gauls and the Celts and the Gaels and the Druids in Britain, right? Learning about the ancient mysteries. And he put this all in together, his own teachings, when he went back to Palestine. The Jesus in the Gospels is not the Jesus who was there, right? We will find him. If you look at the ancient mystery schools and the Essenes, that is where you will find the real Yeshua the Nazarene. Yeshua the Essene, not Jesus of Nazareth. Many writers claim Nazareth didn't even exist at that time. There's no place called Nazareth. So where do you go from there? You know, the Essenes spawned, birthed, and raised Jesus to fulfill the prophecies. And that gives us a very different picture of him. He was a lamb through the story. He knew he was going to be crucified. He knew what he was teaching. The truth from the ancient mystery schools about God, about life and all of that. He knew what he was teaching was going to end in his crucifixion. He knew it. And he loved humanity so much. And he was so desperate to get the truth out there. He was prepared to die for that. But he didn't die on the cross. That again was another secretive thing by the Essene. He was resuscitated. He did not die. And there's lots of evidence to prove that. But to see the Catholic Church won't let us know that because there goes the foundation stone on which all their teachings are based. Jesus did not die on the cross to save humanity. No man can do that. You can only save yourself, Aaron. I cannot save you. I can help you, but I can't pull you with me. Only you can save yourself. No Jesus, no God can do that for you. We can point the way, but you've got to do it for yourself. And Jesus was a lamb to the slaughter, fulfilling the prophecy, birthed and raised and spawned, as I said, by the Sine community to fulfill the prophecies. They disappeared very quickly after the crucifixion because their work was done. And the last book out there just last week, on the 22nd of July, which is the feast day of Mary Magdalene, was my book on Mary Magdalene. Behind every great man, Mary Magdalene, twin flame of Jesus. Now, she was not a prostitute. She was a high priestess of the Temple of Isis in Egypt, trained in all the ancient mysteries and the initiation ceremonies and rituals that went with that training. She was the twin flame of Jesus. Magdala, that means tar. She was a tar of strength. She was a strong, independent woman in her own right. She was a visionary, a prophet, an emissary of the light, a teacher. She performed exorcisms. She performed anointings. She understood all. And she was in an intimate relationship with Jesus. She was a spiritual equal, his partner, the strength behind him. Okay? And what else can I say the church? The funny thing is, most people think that the Gospels describe her as a prostitute and a sinner. The Gospels do not. The canonical, canonical Gospels do not. They don't describe her as that. She's first described as that by Pope Gregory I in 591 in a homily he gave, where he put all those three Marys, the sinner, the prostitute, he called them all, put them all into one and said, that's Mary Magdalene. That's where her castigation as a prostitute came from. So it wasn't the Gospels, it was the early church fathers. Here we go again, the early church fathers who castigated her. But in 1945, things began to move very rapidly after the unearthing in, at Nagamadi, in the case in the desert in Egypt, of other Gospels, which had not made it into the canonical four, right? The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary herself, all these Gospels, the Gospel of Philip, they tell us a very, very, very different story about Mary Magdalene. They tell us a very strong Mary Magdalene, a Mary Magdalene who actually explained the teachings of Jesus to the apostles. They were very stupid at times, they couldn't understand a thing, and she was the one who explained it. And she was on a par with Jesus. So modern days, researchers and scholars are giving us the truth is coming out. And the truth is coming out now 1,500 years later, simply because 
uh, the age of Aquarius started. The age of Pisces was the age where the masculine energy dominated, and now there's a balancing. Everything must be balanced. Everything must be balanced. There's a balancing now of the rise of the feminine energy. It's not going to dominate. This is not a competition. This is not the battle of sexes. This is not a time for revenge. It's simply a time for balancing. The masculine energy is now being balanced by the rise of the feminine energy. And Jesus and Mary Magdalene epitomized that balance in their relationship. She being the earthly, the feminine, he being the more, well, out of this earth, or out, you know, the more out of the ordinary masculine. But now is the time when the energy is being balanced. Everything's speeding up, as you know yourself. Time seems to be speeding up so quickly. You know, sooner I spend the one, the time to go back in again. What do you get done? I don't know. But everything's speeding up. People are becoming, people are waking up much faster now than they were, say, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But still enough where people are still very much asleep. And you cannot waken them. This is the sad part. I used to beat myself up a lot. Why can't I help that person? Why can't I do this? Why can I not save that person? You can't. All you can do is save and look after yourself and reach out to them when they ask you. You cannot barge in and I'm going to save you. That's not what this is about. You cannot save the world. You can only look after yourself and spread that from person. The only way the world is going to improve is by passing from person to person to person, one at a time. There's going to be no great appearance of Jesus in the sky with an army of angels behind him and Mother Mary tracing behind that, Mary Magdalene someone tracing behind that. And music, that's not going to happen. It's going to happen by, you know, passing from one to one to one to one. The realization that we are not individual people, that we are all one, that we are spiritual creatures and that God is not a person. Everything I've said so far, people are beginning to realize that this is what it is. And that's why the churches are falling right, left and center, all down around the place. And the irony is, people haven't pulled the church down the same way as the Berlin Wall. You know, America did not defeat communism. Communism was not defeated by capitalism. All these dictatorial, all these systems that are evil, and that, you know, totalitarian, they all fall from within. Communism was not destroyed by capitalism. America did not defeat Russia. The Berlin Wall fell down, was not down from within. The same way as the church is falling from within. They're destroying it themselves. With the scandals we've had, there's no end to them. Every day there are more. The church is falling from within because, you know, you can fool some of the people, as um, was said, you can fool some of the people all the time, and all the people some of the time, but you can't see all the people all the time. Sooner or later, usually sooner, people will say, that's enough, we know what's happening. And that system will fall from within. Typical example, as I said, is communism. The Berlin Wall fell down, it was not down from within the communist side. Same way as the church is falling from within. They are destroying it from within. It's toppling. It has lost its control. Okay, because people are realizing that God is not a person to whom we have access only through priests and the church and religion. People are copying on to that. People are realizing that the God energy is within each one of us and all the answers to all the questions we could ever answer are within inside of us. All we've got to do is tune in to our higher selves and get those answers. But the church has never taught us that. The church has never told us about energy, right? The church has told us all the things that we now know are not right. And yes, there are great changes ahead and wonderful changes ahead. And people are awakening. They feel that it's time for them to awaken. And they feel that, you know, there's great, great lot of synchronicities going on. People are being directed to books that they need. Things are happening according to what is needed. And um, synchronicity after synchronicity after synchronicity. No such thing as chance or, or, or um, you know, chance or coincidence. Those things don't exist. 
everything is synchronized. And there's time for everything, and everything has its own time and place. And things happen when the time is right. You see, this is another problem we have. We don't seem to realize the universe is a caring, loving universe. And the universe is looking after us. Everything we need, the universe is getting to us. But we lack trust. We don't really trust. We just, we can't believe it's happening. And we try to interfere. We try to make our own outcome. We go after this, we go after something else, which we think we want. But that's not what the universe has in store for us. And by us going after our own outcome and trying to make things work the way we want them to work, from our own limited human vision, we're actually interfering and blocking the natural flow of energy, which is the flow of the great universal energy, which is getting things to us as and when we need them. We're blocking that. It's like a tree standing in the middle of the water, in the middle of the river. The river, you know, the river's gushing away. The tree doesn't try to stop the river gushing. The tree just stands or lets the water flow around it. You know, we're just meant to be. We're not meant to strive and have trouble in this world. We're meant to be and enjoy and trust that everything is coming to us that we need. We actually don't know what we need, but the universe does. And the universe is getting everything to us that we need and that we desire. And we don't realize that we create our own life, we create our own situation. Every thought, every word we put out there brings back to us. The universe is simply a mirror. The universe is a reflection of us. The universe reflects back to us what we put out. If we say, universe, please send me some more money, what we're saying there is, I don't have any money. And the universe agrees and says, yes, that's right, Daddy, you don't have any money. End of. And I don't get any money. Universe, please send me an, a lovely new house or a lovely new car. What I'm saying there is, I don't have a house, I don't have a lovely car. And the universe says, yes, that's right, and you don't have one. End of. But if I say, thank you, universe, for the lovely car you're sending me, thank you, universe, for all the money you're sending me, the universe says, yes, Daddy, that's right, I'm sending you new, I'm sending you money, I'm sending you a car. See the way it works? We don't seem to get that into our heads. The universe reflects as above, so below. The universe reflects what we send out. We get back multifold what we send out. We send out hatred, we send out spite, we send out greed, we get that great big boomerang back with a great big slap. We send out love, we send out unconditional love, we send out compassion. We get it all back. You know, we've got to balance our giving with our receiving, not taking our giving and receiving. Everything must be balanced. We must balance our giving with our receiving. We must be able to receive in the same proportion as we give out. Otherwise, we are depriving other people of giving. And everyone needs to give. Every soul needs to give. But we've got to have somebody to give to. So if you're bad at accepting from people, what you're really doing there is you are refusing them the opportunity to gain brownie points by giving. You know, when you give a gift to somebody, they don't like it, they don't want it, that hurts you. And they have denied you the opportunity to give. So, you know, we've got to balance. Everything must be balanced. We must balance be able to receive, let people help us, let people into us in the same way as we give out. Most people are much better at giving than they are at receiving because they feel, well, they don't want to upset that person, they don't want to take that, they, don't, they know that person, they, put that, they don't want to ask that person to help because it will inconvenience them. But people want to help. People want to give. Your soul's crying out to give. And by us not being able to accept and receive, we are denying those people the chance to evolve their soul by giving. Does make sense, Aaron? Does, it makes complete sense. What did you learn from writing all these books? The main thing I've learned is that it is so important for people to ask the questions. My books don't have the answers. Who has the answers 2,000 years later? Who, who knows the real truth, Aaron? Right? Yes. But, you know, it's not like the chicken and the egg. You don't know which comes first. You know, the question and the answer, there's a clear demarcation there. You can't get the answer until you ask the question. Okay? So you ask the question first of all, 
and then the answers, number of them will appear. But we've got to question, and I hope that's what my books are doing. They, I'm raising questions in them, and I'm encouraging everybody else to raise questions. People can question what I've written now, that's wonderful. Because it's only through question after question after question, by question everything, that we're ever going to get anywhere near the truth. And so to get the truth 2,000 years later, that's a big ask. But we've got to ask the questions. In other words, where are we ever going to get anywhere near the truth? Okay? And the second thing I've learned is that you cannot, you can take a horse to water, but you can't take a drink. I cannot save people along with myself. They have got to save themselves. I can give them guidance, I can give them help in the books, but I can't save them. I can't do it for them. Okay? There's a lot of darkness, a lot of dark energy in the world, Aaron, as you know yourself. It's not all sunshine, all bright energy. And those beings who exist in darkness, living in anger and fear and hatred, they don't even know there is a light to go to. So how do they go to the light? Do what I mean? So our job is to get the door open for them and then the light can get in and then they can see the light. I have friends, shaman travellers, and I can't sing shaman journeyers, who shaman teachers who go to the darker worlds at night with their spirit guides, with their animal spirit guides, cheetahs, lions for protection. They've got their seal with them, the light for protection, and the angels. And they'll go to those darker energy worlds where these horrible creatures, horrible beings, are living in dire agony. The images are horrific, demonic. You know, it's just, it's just horrific. And when they see the angels coming, they change. And it's the most beautiful sight to see those beings who are deranged and who are just so horrible. To see them change, the joy on their faces when they see the angels coming for them. And it's the most beautiful thing to see. The angels fold them on their wings and take them up to the light. And that is beautiful. But unfortunately, as soon as they're taken up, there are more and more dark entities coming in to replace them. How wonderful to be able to do that. And I don't do that. But I do know people who do. And to be able to do that, to be able to get beings who are in darkness and don't even know there is a light to go to. How can they ask for it? See, we have free will. And no being can interfere with that free will. So the angels and archangels cannot get to these beings because they haven't asked them. We can ask. We can get to these beings by, you know, compassion, by a smile, by whatever it is. And you keep knocking on their door to get in. And yes, they can withdraw further and further into darkness, but you keep on knocking until they say, well, what's she doing? She knows something I don't know. And there is their prayer gone out on the thought. And once that thought goes out, yes, there must be something more than this. Once they get that in their head, I don't have to live like this. There must be something better. There must be something. Why and what has she got that I haven't got? There is the thought gone out. And once that thought goes out, that's the prayer. Prayer's a thought. There, that, that's your prayer. And the angels and the archangels are in there, and that person is brought to the light. That's how important each one of us is. The angels can't go where we can go. We can get to those doors, and we can get those doors opened. The angels can't, because the angels cannot interfere with human free will. But once the door is open, but it's our job to get the door open. Does that make sense, Aaron? It, it makes complete sense. Um, as someone who has who has grown and married in the Catholic background and the books and knowledge you have now, what's your view? Has your view changed anyway? Oh yes, definitely, <laughs> totally. I'm a very different person now because I know the truth. I was living a lie. I was living under the lies and the control, which is soul destroying. My soul finds really now, which all souls are meant to do. My soul sings its own song, not the song, well, it wasn't even singing the song. You know, if you're not living in the light, Aaron, you're dead, you're not existing. If you're not living your life with passion and in the truth, 
You're not living. You're simply existing. You're under somebody else's control. You know, and the things that we were told, the things we were taught. I grew up in fear. My young days, I was taught by nuns in the Catholic primary school. And, you know, we were beaten. We were slapped. And there was no mercy. And, you know, you know, you didn't get much support from your parents at home because, well, they thought you deserved it. You know, you, you have nobody to support you. You were on your own because they were nuns and they were the church. You know, your parents would have been the same, Aaron. You know, they would have been what to school right, left and centre. We were beaten black and blue. You know, but the things we were taught were all wrong. We were brought up in fear and guilt. What sort of a life is that if you live it in fear and guilt? It's not a life. You're not living. And you keep coming back in this reincarnation after reincarnation after reincarnation until you get rid of that fear and get rid of that guilt and allow your soul to fly freely in the truth. And my books, well, I believe that the truth is in my books. And not everybody's drawn to them because we're still Catholic Ireland and there is still a great control exerted over many people in this country by the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church can do no wrong in many people's eyes because that's the way they have been inducted and it's been instilled in them so greatly and so strongly that, you know, those people have many more lifetimes to come in order to free themselves from the shackles of that religious control. Every religion is controlling, right? right. Every religion is manipulating. And every war in the world, and I'm saying this, has been caused by religion. And all the atrocities that have been committed in the name of religion, well, you know, I don't have to spell them all out to people. Everybody knows the murders, the atrocities committed down through history by what's called Christian churches and the name of Jesus, the name of God, and the name of Christ. And when you open your eyes to that and when you realize that, then you're ready to move on on your spiritual path. But you cannot move on in your spiritual path when you are still controlled by any religion. You've got to free yourself of that and you've got to find the truth. With Reiki, um, and when you learnt it and you had freedom, how can someone that's listening to this provide freedom from either the Catholic Church or understand the truth? Well, it's not a question of going and breaking free and like a prisoner. Well, yes, let's forward like a prisoner. You've got to realise that what the Catholic Church has been doing, they have been controlling you, controlling your mind for their own power and their own wealth. Now, you've got to get yourself away from that. You've got to start reading. You've got to go inside yourself in meditation and listen to yourself. You don't have to go anywhere to find God. You don't even have to go within yourself because by going within yourself to find God, that's just that God is not you. You are the God essence. You don't have to go anywhere. You already have it. You are it. You are the spirit light. You are spirit. You are God because you have all the elements of the God essence inside you. And you do not need any religion, any church, to give you access to God because you already are. You're already there. Just a question of accepting and acknowledge you don't have to go anywhere to find it. Because the fact that you're going to find something suggests that you see it as something separate, something outside you. It's not. You are. The beautiful I am presence. I am that I am that I am. I am God in that I am all the elements of God. But I am not God in God's entirety, in God's totality, because there's more than me around. But I am God in that I carry all the elements of God inside me. And this present, these present days are days when we realize that we each, each one of us carries the feminine and the masculine, Father, Mother, God. God isn't just God the Father. There's a Mother God there as well, in that this energy is composed of masculine and feminine energy. We each carry Mother God within us and Father God within us. We each carry the masculine energy and the feminine energy. And the first stage in our spiritual path is to balance those with inside each one of us. We have got to balance our masculine with our feminine. 
we've got to balance the mind with our heart. At the moment, the masculine, our masculine mind is taking precedence over our feminine heart. We're not feeling, you know, our emotions and feelings have been stuffed down. We've been taught how to feel. We've been taught how to think. And that's because those who control us know that our emotions and feelings are so powerful. When emotions and feelings get out, they can topple governments, they can topple churches, as they're doing. So if our emotions and feelings can be kept under control by those who control us, then they can stay in power. It's all a power game. But things are beginning to happen in this age of Aquarius. People are breaking free and they're beginning to realise that things are not what they have been taught. Am I making sense, Aaron? Yeah, you are. And while writing the books about Jesus, did it make you become awakened or aware of the real stories of who he was? Yes. There was Jesus. I don't for one minute doubt. You don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. I don't for one minute deny that Jesus was alive. But the Jesus that was there was not the Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. He did not exist. Same as the Mary Magdalene we've read about in the Gospels. Or, sorry, from the, and in the early church fathers. Was not the Mary Magdalene who was there. Those are two composite figures. But we have the truth of them now. Everything, the truth comes out in the end. The truth cannot be hidden forever. It's coming out. Yeshua and Mary Magdalene were spiritual partners and yes there was an intimate relationship between them you know the church teaches that Jesus was complete in his divinity and in his humanity yet why is he being denied a sexuality if he was human it doesn't make sense Aaron if Jesus was complete in his humanity why is he being depicted as someone who has no sexuality and it's okay for the gospel is to show us that a young man could lie on Jesus' breast and yet he can't have a relationship with a woman. Yeah, that, that is completely true. Mm-hmm. Jesus had his masculine and feminine perfectly balanced within himself, right? He was a perfected human being. As we're all going to be when we get our masculine and our feminine. That's why gay people are so lovely, okay? Gay men have got the balance of their feminine and their masculine. Wouldn't you agree? I would, yeah. And they're lovely, lovely, lovely people. There's no aggression with, you know, with gay people. They're all love and compassion because they're balanced with their masculine and their feminine energies. The miracles that are written in the, the Bible, is, is that what you came across as well in your own research for the books? Miracles, well, miracles, miracles happen every day of the week. The Bible is full of stories to make Jesus this supernatural son of a supernatural God that Constantine and the Romans thought of. They had to give him something extraordinary. You know, for example, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. That, you were told Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> In other words, Jesus was going against the natural laws of the universe. The natural laws of the universe, to which everyone is subjected, says that once your body, once the breath leaves the body, there's a series of chemical reactions goes off in your body, decomposition sets in, your spirit is released, and your spirit cannot return to that same body. Your spirit can go back through the process of reincarnation to another body, but it cannot return to that same body. So, the Gospels claim that Jesus resurrected Lazarus, the same way as Jesus himself was resurrected on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. That cannot, that's not, that's, that, that's not logical. What happened really was, you know, Jesus himself was a shaman, a shaman, whatever you pronounce it, you know what they are, spiritual journeyers who cross the thresholds of the spirit world. We all know what shamans are. The Druids, the Celts, they were all. It's all in our history. And Lazarus was undergoing one of those ancient mystery initiations, guided by Mary Magdalene, actually his sister, by which he was put into fasting for three days, 
into darkness, into isolation, okay, in order to purify his body for this journey into the other world where he would receive advice and connect with spiritual beings. And as Lazarus was going through that journey, somehow he began to feel compassion for the horrible entities he was seeing, and his process was delayed. And three days later, he still hadn't come back. And that's when the panic set in that thought he was dead. But Jesus knew he wasn't. Jesus took his time coming. It took three days to get there. And Lazarus wasn't dead. He was simply going through the initiation process. Like shamans do today, guide people into the spirit world. Only it doesn't take three days. It's very simple these days because we've progressed so much. But in those days, that was one of the ancient mysteries, one of the ancient initiation ceremonies that Mary Magdalene, being a priestess of the Temple of Isis in Egypt, was able to conduct, right? And the same with Jesus on the cross. They seen the community were around him, holding the energy, getting him over to the threshold and getting him back again before his silver cord broke so that it seemed to everybody that he was dead, or as an actual fact, he wasn't. Now, the Essenes were supreme healers. They were very, the herbs and all the rest of it. They got him off the cross sooner than he should have been taken down. And they resuscitated him. And then when he reappeared after three days again, people began to think, well, he has been resurrected. It was all a scheme or a plan by the Essenian community to make it appear that Jesus died and came back again to get rid of the illusion of death for people in the world. That was what the whole plan was, right? But Jesus hadn't died. And it was a very secretive thing, okay? And that's why he had to go to India after that and Mary Magdalene went to France because they could not be together because their lives were in danger. These people who had put Jesus to death, as they thought, were full of anger and fear because Jesus was teaching things that was getting rid of their authority, totally against their beliefs. And they were afraid for their own part. And that's why Jesus was crucified. Crucifixion being a Roman punishment, not a Jewish punishment. Stoning, he should have been stoned, but he was crucified by the Romans, right? Because he was crucified for sedition or a fear that he was going to raise some sort of an armed insurrection against them. Again, we're not told that. With this image of Jesus being the peaceful, loving, yes, he was, and, you know, sort of sending out words of peace and love, Jesus could well have been a zealot. A zealot being sort of the armed, the violent side of the Athena. To create an armed resurrection, you could rid of the Roman power. No, Jesus was surrounded by very violent people. Knives were drawn when he was raised. Peter took off and took out a knife and cut off the ear of one of the, one of the soldiers. Before all the peace and love there, okay? And he had a, he had, um, a tax gatherer in his ranks. Jesus was surrounded by violent people. So was Jesus himself the zealot? No, the Jesus we meet in the Gospels is not the Jesus that was there. There's an awful lot more to come out than we have been told, right? But he did not die on the cross because, you know, his legs were not broken as the others were because the breaking of the legs was the final thing to make them die because then you can't even breathe. Jesus was able, because of his high spirituality and his friend in the scene, to go into a higher state of consciousness as people do in meditation, to make his body even seem where the breathing has been halted, has been withheld, suspended, right? To everybody looking at him, he was dead. And that's why he did not break his legs. He's dead already. The other thing is, while he was on the cross, where was Joseph Arimathema? He was with Pilate negotiating to get Jesus off that cross. Was the money paid? Was the bribe? There's political scandal at the highest levels. There's so much going on. We have got to find the truth. We've got to find out what was going on. Jesus was a victim of political scam, a victim of religion, a victim of the Romans. You know, he needs our compassion. Jesus was a lamb to the slaughter, but he did it for humanity. He did it because he believed he was getting the truth out, right? 
Easter there. <laughs> I am. I'm still listening to you. Um, You're not going into shock, no? <laughs> no, I haven't. It... Many listeners are out there, are they? <laughs> have any listeners left to go to I don't know. <laughs> Eileen, with Easter and all the religious celebrations, do you celebrate them or what would you celebrate? Would be more shamanic or spiritual events? I don't celebrate Easter the way the church does. The church is very flamboyant in its ceremonies, aren't they? Look what happens to Easter, all the purple colours coming out, all the regalia of the costumes and the attire that they put on. Look at the regalia and the ceremonials going on in the Vatican. Again, that's all part of control. And it all comes from the church has castigated as the early pagan thing. That word pagan, that's a total misunderstanding of that as well. The pagans were in touch with God in every blade of grass, everything. They saw God in it. What the Christian church do? They came and they took over the pagan site of ceremony. Every cathedral is built on one of the early pagan sites. Why? Because the pagans, who were in touch with God and everything, knew exactly where the energy lines of the earth were. And they worked with those energy lines through themselves. And the church castigated the pagans as those who adore false gods. That's not what pagans were. Pagans were ones who were in touch with God in every blade of grass, in the sun, the moon, the stars. The pagans had it right. And the Christians took their good name away. And then the Christians took over their site and built their churches on the same site. The Vatican itself is built on the, over the temple of Mithras, the god Mithras. Every cathedral is built over a site of one of the early pagan ceremonial sites. You know that, Aaron, don't you? I, I do, yeah. Eileen, mm-hmm. I want to say thank you very much for coming onto the show and sharing what you've got to share. My pleasure. I just hope I've helped some people, and I hope I haven't annoyed too many people or disturb them, but they've got to be disturbed before they awaken. If they're going on happy in their ways, they're never going to question, they're never going to find the truth. And I just hope that some listeners will be now asking questions, and in asking those questions, that will lead them to find the truth that they need to find in order to progress along their soul evolutionary path. And I send them all light and love in doing that. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out Sanseat.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sanseat Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.